I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching on the National NRB Network, that's DirecTV Channel 378, or listening on AM Radio, AM 820, KUTR, The Truth, we welcome you. You can uh, watch Heart of the Matter uh, on the internet as well. You go to www.hotm.tv. Click on streaming video, and people from all over the world uh, tune in by, through that uh, medium. And uh, if that doesn't suffice, you can also watch the program. Uh, all of the shows are archived. You can uh, get those archived shows at hotm.tv as well. I was a born-again Mormon. Moving toward Christian authenticity is a book we hope you'll consider when it comes to understanding Mormonism and spiritual rebirth. We think it's one of the best books out there in addressing the present-day uh, issues that stand between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. It's available at bornagainmormon.com, also at utlm.org, which is a great reference source for all things LDS doctrinally, and Christian Gift and Bible and Lifeway uh, Christian Bookstores. Last week, I made a few comments that seemed to rattle some cages. One was about the Bible. Regarding the Word of God, I said that while what is reported in the Bible are true reports, uh, not everything that the Bible reports should be considered truths that God would want us to embrace. Learn from certainly, embrace no. I then mentioned uh, Job, and I mentioned the book of Ecclesiastes, and even during the program we had a caller call and say, could you give us an example from Ecclesiastes of what you're speaking of? So I didn't have anything ready then, I said I'd do it this week. Let me tell you first about Job. In desperation, remember Job's circumstance. Job says in chapter 7, verse 7, Oh, remember that my life is wind, which we might agree with. Mine eyes shall no more see good. Now, is this an attitude of truth, even for Job in his life? It, it's not. Uh, he was merely expressing his heart and his pain and his, and his despair, honestly. Uh, does it mean what he said was true? Uh, should we embrace that as thoughts that we should have as Christians? No, we live by faith and we live by hope. 
and we live by love. And Job's eyes actually did see uh, good once his trial uh, in the flesh was over, and it shows how God blessed him, and his life did turn. So uh, in the midst of it, it's a lesson that we can learn from Job, but not one that we would necessarily want to embrace. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon expresses himself in a similar way. Now remember, Solomon multiplied unto himself thousands of concubines and wives, which God said would lead his heart from the true and living God. He also was the richest man uh, on the earth in terms of material goods. And he writes in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 of Ecclesiastes, For there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall be all forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore... He says, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. I'm not sure that that is an attitude God wants us all to embrace. I find life even full of trials and pain and suffering and difficulties still a gift from God. Did he create this world with all of its beauty and splendor and wonders for us to hate every single bit of our existence? Is everything that we do, everything we do vanity? Uh, Again, Solomon is expressing his point of view and it's recorded truthfully, but it does not mean it should become our singular worldview. Certainly there's a time for reprioritization and for mourning and for these things. And that's why the Bible is such an honest book is because it allows people to communicate honestly with God and express themselves. But to say that all of life is vanity, I would disagree. I think that such a position is counter to the blessings that God gives us. Let me give you one more. In chapter 4, verse 3, Solomon states, Because of oppression and evil that is in the world, that wherefore I praise the dead which are dead already more than the living which are yet alive. Really? Do you praise the dead more than the living? In the scripture as a whole, death is rarely, rarely mentioned as anything that is positive. It's almost always posed as a threat. It's not a good thing. Resurrection from the dead, yes, good. But dying is not supported biblically as this great gift that we should desire. Solomon's praising the dead is from a man who is depressed and in despair. I do not blame Solomon at all. Uh, We feel this way at times, and I think, again, it's wonderful God would allow this in his living word to show us how we have despair and how to resonate to it. But is it God's truth? No more than Satan telling Adam and Eve, if you eat this fruit, you will be as the gods knowing good from evil. I mean, it was a lie. Because it's in the Bible, do we say that we embrace those things? No. That was my whole point. That's why we did it. Finally, we had some misunderstandings on last week's message as well, and it was a primer on tonight's show about grace. Let me reiterate that God has always been a God of grace. So while Peter approached the children of Israel in a different way than Paul, the in the end message for Peter to the children of Israel and for Paul was the same. Jesus Christ crucified and salvation by and through his shed blood alone. I never meant to infer in any way that anyone is saved by any other means than by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But it was very important to understand that Peter was called to the nation of Israel and was going to 
approach them in a way that was going to be couched in their history and their covenants with God, and it would be different from Paul's approach, which was to the Gentile nation. Paul's approach, by the way, and the LDS twists of it are what we are going to examine tonight in part two uh, and the final part of grace. And so with that, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we need you, I need you, our staff, our volunteers, the programming, the, the technical difficulties with television, um, our sound, our graphics, our director, everybody who's involved, we pray for them. We pray for our audiences, Lord, who are here in-house, who are out there in the United States, who are even in the world. We pray that the messages that are shared will be from you, and those that are not, when I am nothing but a buffoon, that you'll take them away and you'll just show myself as a buffoon. But the things that are of you, Lord, let them uh, shine through clearly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is clear on the subject of salvation by grace and grace alone. In fact, it's really quite stupid for me to even say grace and grace alone because grace is only grace if it's alone. Uh, change it at all, and it's not grace. The cl clarity of salvation by grace is proven uh, when a view is taken in context of the Bible and studied as a whole and understood from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Grace comes out as a prominent uh, uh, perspective. But because of time constraints, we can't give an exhaustive representation of grace in the Bible. But we can provide kind of a suitable outline. So let me make four points. Salvation by grace through faith first exists logically by virtue of the good news. It is exhaustively uh, presented in the word. It is illustrated in the word. And it is specifically taught by the apostle to the Gentiles Paul, who we talked about last week. In the end, anyone and everyone who claims Jesus Christ as their Savior will do one of two things. First, they will fall on the side that says they are saved by grace alone through faith on his shed blood. That's the first position. And the second one is they will believe in some other way. An addition to what Jesus did and who he was, a subtraction from who, uh, what Jesus did and who he was, or they might even remove him altogether from the mix and claim him somehow as the Messiah. Where do you stand? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Where do you stand? So let's look at the first concept of how grace exists logically due to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Simply put, we should ask, when did Jesus suffer for the sins of the world? And we all know the answer about 2,000 years ago, right? So Jesus, 2,000 years ago, suffers for the sins of the world. Did he pay for all the sins of the world? Yes, he did. Did he pay for the sins you committed when you were 8 years old and when you were 18 years old and 28 and 38 and 58? Did he pay for the sins you committed yesterday, the sins you committed today? Did Jesus pay for the sins you are going to commit tomorrow? Ask yourself that question. Yes, he did. Now, since he paid for sin, past, present, and future, wipe the slate clean forever by his blood, we cannot say that it is sin that keeps us out of God's kingdom. The sin has been paid for. We've agreed to this. So, what then is the only thing that keeps
keeps us or condemns us and makes us separate from God. It's one sin. It's the sin of unbelief. That is the sin you will be charged with if you do not receive God's shed blood uh, through grace. Additionally, the payment Jesus paid uh, for sin was something that you and I did not have a hand in at all. He did it all. When we are covered by the blood of Christ, which we did not earn or merit, uh, as it was only by his efforts and his righteousness that we have been saved by this blood. You did not climb up on that cross and help him suffer. You did not do any works or merits or anything to make sure that you get to earn that blood. He did all of it for you. Now, some say that having faith is a work. They say that grace, to have faith on the shed blood of Christ is a work, and therefore grace and works go together. But Scripture differentiates between faith and work. There's a, a very popular verse that the LDS use, and it's James when he says, faith without works is dead. So uh, it still says faith, and then it differentiates it between work. It, faith without the works is a dead faith, but nevertheless, it's an inactive faith. It is still separate from works. Faith is not a work. It is um, an acquiescence to something offered to you and a belief and, a, and, and an acceptance of that. Faith, in fact, standing alone, this will trouble some of you, standing alone, faith is the absence of work, okay? But once faith exists, it will then propel us to work. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, let's look at the second point, and that is how the Bible from beginning to end exhaustively portrays God's grace. Who was it who created the heavens and the earth? Was it you or was it God? Did you have anything to do with it? How did you receive the blessings of existence uh, on this earth? Did you merit it? Or did you do nothing to, to receive what you have? Who was it who designed our landscapes and our oceans and our seascapes? Who gave us the oxygen molecules and the water molecules and our bodies and our food and, and all of life? Again, was it God or was it God and you? Were these things or how they benefit you earned by you at all? How did you merit your existence? How have you merited anything that has been placed before you? I'm always, I always laugh at birthdays. I'm sorry, but, oh, you know, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. Well, what did you do? You did nothing, but it's my birthday. You know what? It's just amazing. There is no merit in that. I mean, you just kind of came out of your mom. All, ah, that's all you did. You, you, didn't, you didn't do anything to be born. She did all the pushing. And, and yet, you know, we think it's us. It's just the human nature to think that we are doing something. And literally in the, in the, in the scripture, God has done everything. You have done nothing and it's been grace from the beginning. Throughout scripture, God has pointed out over and over again that he is the source of all things. He's a sovereign God. That he created man and we, and we are beholden to him. Bad and evil are the products of humankind. They are not the products of God. But from the start, God has done nothing uh, less than nothing except work in the realms of grace on our behalf. Carrying this out a step further, God instituted a law and no one could abide by that law. So even when we were given a chance to do something on our own as humanity, we were given a set of rules, everybody failed. 
everybody failed at keeping those rules. So even in the salvation of humanity, God had to, like he did in the creation, like he does, does in all blessings, God had to come down himself, live like we could not live, love like we could not love, die like we could not die, and save us from our, uh, from our sins by his shed blood, and we brought nothing to the table for him to accomplish this. All right? In the book of Daniel, it says, Oh my God, we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness. It says, but for thy great mercies. Okay? Even under the law, the children of Israel were well aware that they were reliant upon the mercy of God and not their own righteousness. This provides us with an excellent beginning definition of grace. Ready? I think it's going to come up on the screen. When a person does not receive what they deserve, mercy in place of judgment, but does receive what they don't deserve, blessing. I want to ask you two very important questions. Are you a person who believes you deserve heaven by your own merit? If so, you are renouncing the doctrine of grace. And I wish you really a lot of good luck with that. Or ask yourself, are you a person who believes there is nothing in your human flesh you can do to earn heaven, but that you're going there anyway because of what Jesus did in your place? And because you have faith and trust in him, if you believe this way, you are a person who embraces the gospel of grace. If there's any mix between those two, forget it. It's not grace. The book of Romans 9, 15 through 16 tells us uh, who gives mercy and why. Listen to this. For God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. You know what that scripture says? It says you can try to will, you can try to will your way, you can try to run your way to heaven, and it's none of that. It is God who shows you mercy. That is called grace, my friends. This theme of God's unearned grace is exhaustively presented throughout Scripture, and we can readily see that. When all is said and done, God's will is said, and it is done. And we will be recipients of His favor, or we will be recipients of His justice, depending on our faith or our lack of it on the person that He sent. The third biblical support, quickly, is... Uh, that there are illustrations throughout Scripture that support grace. From Noah in the ark to God making the covenant with Abraham, and when Abraham fell asleep, God did the actions of the covenant. From the prodigal son to the thief on the cross, the whole thing drips of grace, grace, grace. Let me give you one particular story I like in the New Testament that tells of grace, and we usually think it doesn't have anything to do with grace, and it's about Lazarus. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were all Jesus' friends. And Jesus is out. He's heading away from where Lazarus was. And the sister came running to him and saying, listen, Lazarus is really sick. And so Jesus, he stays away. He doesn't come running back. He stays away. And he stays away for enough time to make sure that Lazarus dies. And he goes and he's put into a tomb and he's in there for three days. Meaning by Jewish law, the guy is deader than dead. Okay. This is a picture for us in our sin. 
we are deader than dead in sin. And if we don't have a covering for that sin, we are deader than dead when it comes to standing before God too. So Lazarus is in the grave, deader than dead, and Jesus comes back and the sisters are all upset with him saying, well, one sister was, hey dude, why didn't you come back if you had? Lazarus would have been alive today. They have that much faith. He says, open up the tomb. They say he stinks. He stinks with sin, just like we do before we are covered by the blood. And Jesus says, open it up. So they open it up, and what does Jesus do? He says, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes hopping out. Now, what did Lazarus do to be raised from that dead state to life again? Absolutely nothing. It was Jesus who came to the mouth of that tomb, and he said by his voice, his will, his mercy, Lazarus, come forth. A lot of people talk about that as though it was a picture of resurrection. And it was, in a sense. Jesus is the ultimate picture of resurrection. But it was a perfect picture of salvation by grace and grace alone. That Lazarus was raised by the voice of God and he did nothing to merit it. The fourth and final biblical support for grace is that grace is specifically taught, especially by Paul, the, uh, the apostle of grace, uh, whom we introduced last week. Now, I think it's important to know something about the Mormons at this point in time. In order for Mormon doctrine to exist in light of the following biblical passages that I'm going to read, they had to redefine, they had to twist what salvation means, okay? They could not have their doctrines and passages like this in the Bible exist, so they had to twist what salvation means in order to make it fit. So when a Christian says, we're saved by grace through faith, a tricky Latter-day Saint might join in and say, oh, I agree, I agree. But what they mean is something entirely different from what a Christian means. We're going to be doing an entire program on salvation at the end of the year, so I'll get to that. But just suffice it to say, when a Christian says um, to a Christian, let me put it this way, salvation or being saved means saved from death and hell and living with God after life. That is salvation, okay? Saved from death and hell, living with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit after this life. Pretty straightforward. LDS President and Prophet Joseph Fielding Smith defined the LDS view of salvation for the Mormon Church and Doctrines of Salvation 1, 134, saying, quote, Salvation is twofold. So they redefine it this way. General salvation, that which come to all men irrespective of belief in this life in Christ. This is speaking of the resurrection. That's general salvation to the Mormon. And individual salvation, that which man merits through his own acts, through life, and by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. So you have two definitions of salvation here. When a Mormon agrees with a Christian, yes, it is God's grace that saves us, they doctrinally speaking, not their own little personal heart, doctrinally speaking are saying, it is by God's grace that all men are raised to resurrection. Okay? But when it comes to living with God again and overcoming sin and living with God, the LDS, it is not grace at all. It is the merits of the human being. Okay, so let me restate this to make it clear. Mormon doctrine teaches that all people are resurrected by grace. This is the general free gift to humanity that God gives. But a person 
every person will be resurrected to their own kingdom or level of heaven, not by the grace of God, but by the works and obedience and the merits of their life lived. You got all that? So let's hear what the Bible says specifically about salvation by grace, and you see if you agree with it and the way Mormons define theirs. First, Scripture states that grace is free. It is not earned through works. Speaking of physical and spiritual death, Romans 5.15 says, For if through the offense of one many be dead, talking about Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded to many. So there it's talking about both physical and spiritual death. Listen to Romans 4.4. 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Let me explain that to you. If you're working for your salvation, Paul is saying you are then going to be rewarded not by grace, but because of debt. Let me give you an example. I go and get a job at Taco Bell. I work all week long, 40 hours. I work for my uh, Taco Bell. At the end of the week, they owe me. Uh, they are in debt to me. They owe me a reward. That is working. That's what he's saying. If you are working for your salvation, you are not reckoning your salvation by grace. You are reckoning it by debt, like somebody who's an employee and demands payment at the end of work. That will never work with God. You will never be able to end your life and go before God and say, you owe me. And so what, the only solution, logically, is going to be a salvation by grace wrought through the shed blood of an innocent, pure God. It is not going to come by fallen human nature. Scripture also makes clear that grace wholly stands apart from anything and everything else. Grace plus luck is not grace. Grace plus works is not grace. Paul said uh, in Romans eleven sixteen, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. And if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Can it be explained more clearly, my friends? Scripture is plain on what justifies us before the Father and makes it clear that there's nothing we can do to add to it. Romans 3, 4 says, We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are, look at those key words, justified. That means our sins are wiped away freely. Freely. By what? By His grace through the redemption. Christ has redeemed us back. All right, through uh, Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 2, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope and glory of God. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is, of, it is a gift of God. Scripture tells us that, no one tried to, that those who try to use the law to justify themselves before God are actually fallen from his grace. Listen to this passage, Galatians 5.4. Christ is become of no effect to you, Paul says. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Do you know what that means? In James chapter 2, uh, James says that if you want to be judged by the law, have at it. Go for it. You just try to obey every law you can and go before God and try to be justified by it. And he's going to say, I sent my son to save you, your sorry person, from 
all the sins that you have kept from yourself through delusion, but you've wanted to live by law. James says, if you live your whole life perfectly and you mess up in one law, listen what he says, for whosoever, James 2.10, shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. You know what? You don't stand a chance. You don't stand a chance without the grace of God. Some people think that they need to be worthy to earn God's grace, to do everything possible to have it bestowed upon us. But Paul writes in Ephesians 2.5, Even when we were dead in sin, God quickened us together with Christ. So he tells us, listen, you didn't earn it. Christ came while we were yet sinners and he died for us on the cross. And he saved us while we were in sin, not we didn't repent and get ourselves all ready to then receive God's grace. He came because he loved the world. Scripture reiterates that grace comes from God unmerited and not from us, uh, not from uh, God based on our efforts. Uh, in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 9, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 1, 9, it says, um, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling it says, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And scripture teaches us that grace is just not forgiveness of sin, but grace also makes us righteous. This is a real tough one for the Latter-day Saints. Grace makes us righteous too. Romans 5, 17, For if by one's man offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. See that? The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. My friends, Jesus Christ came to this world. He lived a righteous, perfect life, which you didn't. And when you believe on him, you are cleansed of your sin, justified by his grace, and you are made righteous by his righteous life. It is not your filthy rag works that you think you can go before an eternal God and say, look what I have to show. Like that one guy called, do you show up early? Do you do your job? Do you, do you try to live your life right? You know, and, and he thinks somehow he's going to go before the eternal fire and say, look what I have. You know, uh, listen to this one, Galatians 2.21. I'm skipping ahead, Brandy. It says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. Christ is dead in vain if the law is going to save you. It's not. Grace tells us, I mean, Scripture tells us that grace is the only way for man to achieve righteousness. A couple more scriptures. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But it's not. Righteousness is not by the law. It is by the grace of God uh, given. And scripture tells us that as believers, once we have been saved by grace, here's another myth the LDS teach, that if you're saved by grace, you're going to go into sin all you want and not be cognizant of sin and try. Paul, and, and not work. They always say, you won't work if you're saved by grace. Listen to what Paul says. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. 
uh, it, we get some inferences also on the show that people say, Sean, you just come on there and you sit on the TV and you don't do anything else and you make your money and you're getting rich from this and I hope you're enjoying your life while I'm a Latter-day Saint doing my home teaching and baking uh, potato chip covered casseroles and, and I'm earning my salvation doing this, Sean. And you know, uh, I have never ever in my life worked so hard until I became a, uh, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and had more trials than that comes with the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, finally, uh, Paul says, uh, grace and the evidence of grace in our life does not remove sin from us. And this really troubles the LDS too. Paul had some kind of issue in his life. We don't know what it was. And he goes to God and he says, you know, help me with this. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul reports that it, God says, my grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. My, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Uh, that is really good. And Paul adds, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So in God's economy, infirmities and weaknesses in his believers shows his power even more manifest uh, in the world than if he had a bunch of really strong people who had no problems. The power of God is not manifested there. It's the power of man. Finally, we read, of course, in Galatians that people are going to come and they're going to present false gospels. They're going to give us other things besides grace. Paul said to the Galatians who were headed that way, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Funny that the Book of Mormon calls, uh, the, on the title of the Book of Mormon, they say it's another uh, testament, another a testament of Jesus Christ, another gospel of Jesus Christ, or supposedly. You know, uh, finally, having grace in your life, it allows us to come boldly. It says, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And you know, those, that boldness, people will say, that's so bold to say you know you're saved. That is not boldness. That's humility on what Christ did for you. That is not uh, arrogance. That is saying, I needed to be saved. I'm not doing it on my own. And that Hebrews passage talks about this is a gift of grace. You can listen to men who tell you otherwise, or you can trust in what God says, in what Jesus did, and in the power of his life and his shed blood only, uh, given to us by grace through faith. Let's open up the phone lines, 801973. 8820-801973 TV20. We're going to run our partner spot here for two or three minutes. We'll come back and we'll take your phone calls. We got LDS people all over the place. We'll see how it goes. All right, grab a pencil. Just grab something to write with. Um, we have tried to do this spot several times. I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. I've been sitting here so long. And But what we are want to tell you is Heart of the Matter has been blessed greatly in trying to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, especially those who are in the LDS Church. We contend for the faith each and every week for five years. We have hundreds of programs, and by the grace of God, the fruit has been plentiful and we're seen all over the world. But this medium that we've chose, chosen called TV is very expensive, and we need you to help us stay on the air. So there are ways that you can do it, and we want you to partner with us. That's what we're asking you to do. So write this phone number down, 888-868-4686. 
You can also go online. You can go to www.hotm.tv or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Again, let me give you that information. You can call us at 888-868-4686. You can sign up to be a partner by going online at hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. The Lord has taken this in spite of the host, in spite of the technical inability for me to get this partner's program down right. But we need you, and if he inclines your heart and you're interested, please contact us and help us keep the program on the air. God bless you. Welcome back, and uh, we have Ray from Syracuse, first-time callers, LDS, Joe from Cedar City, Utah, and Jack from Salt Lake City, Utah, a first-time caller from LDS. If you're trying to get through, all the lines are busy, but keep trying. You get a message, just keep trying, and we'll pick you up. We're going to go to Ray, first-time caller. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Well, a lot better. <laughs> a lot better. I, um, I, uh, my, uh, Chemotherapy for my leukemia was successful. Well, excellent. I didn't. I didn't. Did I know you were in chemotherapy? No, no, oh. no. We, we we only talked uh, once before for about twenty seconds at the end of your show. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. God, praise God for that, Ray. Well, thank you, and I do also praise him for that. Yeah. Yes, wonderful. You know, he helped the doctors and and everything. Absolutely, it was wonderful. You know, um, I feel I do feel I'm at a at, I mean, I'm at an advantage because I have um, listened to you a, a bit when when I was um, you know sick with leukemia, and so you know I feel I know you a little better than you know me, uh-huh. at least you know on your show. <laughs> that's a, that's a good <laughs> way to differentiate because, <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> well, well, listen, I have here a statement. I one of Bruce R. McConkie's talks. Yeah. And it says, Now, there is a true doctrine of salvation by grace, a salvation by grace alone without works. And, um, you know, but before we get into this talk of his, uh, um, you know, I, I, in listening to you, I, I've had a whole range of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I kind of get mad at you. You know, sometimes my heart goes out to you, and, and, and sometimes, um, you know, I'm touched by you. I mean, I mean there's quite a, a range of emotions, and, and, um, and I think I finally figured out one aspect, um, why you've uh, become a Protestant. Okay. Because the Protestant uh, faith um, started through protesting the Catholic Church. So... so um, so now it seems like you, you are intensely protesting the, um, the Church of Jesus Christ, the LDS Church. Of Latter-day Saints. You right. know, uh, Ray, you're insightful because I am a fighter by nature. <laughs> and so you've been able, you're right, by sitting and watching me, you know. I don't just protest uh, uh, Mormonism. I, I protest any religious institution that places itself between uh, man and uh, men and women and God, any. 
So it is in my nature, but I just happen to be LDS for the 40 years, and I know it, and that's why we do this program. But I'm against any church that says you have to belong to us, you have to do this baptism, you have to read this version of the Bible, you have to do these things in order to be saved. I'm against any, so you're right. Well, I don't think the Mormon church teaches that only Mormons will be in heaven, and everyone else, you know will be outside of, you know, that Jesus Christ will have to become a Mormon. Are, are you, are you uh, Ray, are you defining heaven as the, the celestial kingdom, or are you defining heaven as all the kingdoms that Joseph talked about? You know, it's good that you ask that, because there is a huge uh, use of terms, gaps, between all religions. Now that, you know, I've had time to watch about 11 different, you know, shows on TV of different religions and get adjusted, you know, feeling for them. Ray? There's a huge communication gap have different religions use different terms. But, Ray, what do you use as a, as a Latter-day Saint? When you say um, that, when you, when you make the comment on this show that, not, that Mormons don't say only Mormons will be in heaven, I just want to know what you mean heaven is. Uh... Okay, just give me one second before we get into that. I can't, Ray. It's, this isn't the Ray and Sean hour. i I got to cut through. <laughs> We've got all kinds of people on the air. So let's just cover what, one point. What do you mean did, by that? Did, did you want to know all what Bruce Omakaki meant? No. I read when he said that, that there's salvation by works alone without works. There, there is no grace in works. There is no grace and works. It's like saying she's a virgin, but she has sex all the time. It, you can't have grace and works. You can't. You cannot be sort of pregnant. I'm using all these female things, but uh, you cannot have those, Ray. It's grace alone. There is no works that you can add to it. And that's why whatever McConkie said, I'm going to lose my lunch hearing it. He, no, he said just what you said. Okay. I, I just read it. You know, is a salvation by grace alone and without works. And then, then he has about, you know, two paragraphs, and, and, and he gets, gets into that, very, what you just said. Yeah, but the problem is McConkie, McConkie, I have quotes, McConkie has belittled salvation by grace and grace alone. They say it is a doctrine of the devil, uh, and, and we can read those, Ray. The problem is you're talking? taking a selective quote. The Latter-day Saints do not believe you are saved, meaning a person believes on what the merits of Jesus Christ were alone and goes and lives with God after this life. They reject that wholeheartedly. Maybe that's what your award taught you, but that's not what I've been taught in the LDS Church. So well, I know what the doctrine says. What, what you were taught, Ray, is and what I was taught is irrelevant. It's what the doctrines are. Okay? Listen, my friend, I am so glad you're around to talk. You sound like a very nice man. I'm glad the chemotherapy worked. We got a lot of callers. We'll keep it going. God bless. Uh, okay, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about, but if you want to let it go, I'd like to call in when you talked about, talk about Ezekiel 37 on the sticks. I've done a lot of research on that. <laughs> we, we've done that, Ray, and the, and the book is closed on that. Watch that show. I've got to let you go, my friend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ray has a lot of good information, and uh, he wants to talk about it. All right, let's go to Jack, Salt Lake City, first-time caller and LDS. Jack, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how are you? Good, Jack, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, you don't know me, and uh, uh, but I, I feel I know you a little bit after watching your show. 
You do what? I feel I know you a little bit after watching psycho- your show. <laughs> Is my zipper down or what? How do you guys know me so well? But, but I will tell you this. You and I have had a little dialogue because um, my email is sanfranciscojack.jack. So we've had a little bit of dialogue over email. I don't know if you recall. I don't recall it, but what's going on? What's your, uh, what's your uh, comment or question, my brother? Okay, I've got two, two, two questions, so I'm hoping we'll have time to go through this. But an analogy was given to me um, by a non-denominational Christian about salvation alone by grace. And by the way, I'm, I'm active LDS, just so okay. they all know. And the, the analogy, you know, was a very simple analogy um, about the, the Golden Gate Bridge. And the Golden Gate Bridge bridged that gap between South, you know, San Francisco and and the and the North there. Yeah. And uh, and Christ was that bridge, and I thought it was a very appropriate analogy because without that bridge, you cannot get to the other side. Yeah. And Christ is indispensable. Yeah. So then I asked this this non-denominational Christian, okay, so now we've got the bridge. How, How do, do I get across it? it? And and. You Do you know, drive? Do you walk? I mean, you've got to put the effort forward to get to the other side. Yeah, right? okay, so I'm with you. you. You mentioned walking and how a Mormon, you know, or how I've been taught in the Mormon church and how I view our salvation is my salvation is a relationship with Christ and he, hand in hand, walks with me across that bridge, but without the bridge and without him helping me, um, I, I could never, ever get across the bridge. It's really nice, Jack, but I have to give you the Christian perspective biblically, okay? Uh, and well, before, I, 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 Biblically, what your Christian said with the bridge, I'm, I want to give you a better, what I believe is a better view. And I think well, you any... Mentioned, you mentioned that I could walk, right? Do, do no, you I was saying to... Full, I, was, I was finishing what you were going to say. I, okay. I was not agreeing with that. I was just finishing what I knew your point would be. This is a better analogy, Jack. You're in quicksand, and you're up to your, your chin in it, and it's sucking you down quick. I'm with you. And Buddha walks by and says, you know, this suffering is going to make you better in the afterlife. And, and Muhammad walks by and says, you're going to have 70 virgins if you bear this. And everybody comes by and says it, and you go under, and you start sucking in that sand, and you are dying. You are gone. There is nothing you can do. You've sunk. And Jesus comes along and he takes off his robe and he dives in head first. And he goes down and he gets beneath you and he pushes you up. And he pushes you up out of that sand, that quagmire. You are dead. And you come up out on the ground and you lay there and striking that ground, you revive to life. That is the analogy. You did nothing. You did no walking, no riding the bike, and no driving the car across the bridge. Jesus pushed you up as a dead man in sin, and when you recognize that relationship with Christ, you will then begin to understand why Christians are so uh, hot against Latter-day Saints when they claim Christianity, but they give these nice little parallels about, he's my, my elder brother, he takes my hand, we walk together, he expects me to climb the ladder, I get to the rung, I'm not at the top, he pulls me up, all these different things but it is solely missing the mark of what the Bible teaches. Does that help, at least the Christian perspective? Well, it does. You in the past have talked about, you know, the limitations of analogies, and no doubt there's limitations. So I'd like to take your analogy and, 
ask a question about it. Let's assume, in your analogy, that I'm in the quickstand up to my neck. Yeah. But we haven't gone so far deep that I'm in underneath yet, and he's, and he's pushing me up from underneath. Okay. You know, and he's reaching out his hand to me and saying, you know, Jack, you know, I, I am here to pull you out of this quicksand. Um, do I have a choice to take my hand and reach out and grab his hand? Yeah, um, but and, that's okay, faith. Now, if I, if I take that action... That's faith. And, and that, that is not hand, an action. That's right, that's right. That's, that's faith. Right. That's not an action, and it's not a work. It's faith. Re reaching out my hand to him... Yeah, but that's a physical analogy you're trying to make for grace. We can't apply those two. They don't translate. But if you're going to really be consistent in your analogy, it is your faith in saying, I will receive what you're offering me, Jesus, because I believe you and what you say. That is an acquisition of, of him receiving your faith and your trust. That is not a physical work, Jack. Well, maybe I can, uh, I'll, we'll conclude this call very quickly here with this final comment. Okay. Your, um, so you talk about the Hall of Fame of Faith, you know, yeah. and when Paul goes into Abraham and, and all these people. Yet, and, and we know, we know that those people in the Old Testament were saved by grace because the law was never meant to save them anyway. That's right. Nevertheless, the law was given. We're all broken against the law. We're even broken against the new law, the, the law of God. Even more so. That, that Paul talks about. So they were saved by grace in the Old Testament also. Yeah. So that, assuming I'm an individual in the Old Testament times. Okay. Uh, you know, God gives me these, these uh, commandments in the law. You know, if I make a choice not to, to do my best, at least, to, to do what God has asked me to do, and I know I'm not perfect, and I recognize that, and I know a lot of LDS people, and or it's, it's across all parts of Christianity, where, where people abuse grace and or abuse works, but in the Old Testament, if I make an active choice to not you know, at least try and obey the commandments of God, then I get cut off. And you use the scriptures in, in Romans, um, Romans 11, and then I just kept reading in the chapter, and, and, and Paul goes on to, to say to these guys, you know, the Jews were cut off because of their unbelief. Right. And, and you Gentiles are now under this dispensation because of their unbelief. Right. But you need to be careful also and take heed Unless you get cut off also, and, and my question is, I'm sorry I'm taking so long. No, you're making good Old points. Testament people who were saved by grace, right? if they actively made a choice to, 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 to just absolutely reject the law, would God still save them? Like, okay, reject the law, did you say, or reject the Lord? Well, the Lord gave the law, so the same thing. Oh, no, it's not the same thing. No, we are dead to the law. We are dead to the law, Jack. Keep reading in Ephesians and Galatians, and we are dead to the law. In if fact, Jesus if you said, live to the... Let me, let me give you an ex example of the law, okay? And we've done this before on the show. You just talked for quite a while. I want to give this for our audience, too. The law is going to do one of two things. And just imagine, here are the two tablets. We're just going to use the Ten Commandments here. They perfect, do, perfect. They, they do two things for you, Jack. You can look at that law and you can say, well, I obey all of those. I'm doing pretty dang good. And pride comes in your heart, which is a sin, a sin God hates. Agreed. Okay? Agreed. Or you look at those commandments and you say, wow, I've broken seven, two, and, and, and four. I'm a miserable wretch. And Agreed. so you're in, 
you're in despair. Okay? Agreed. The law, you're dead to that law. You live to Christ, who when you look at him, you see life, unconditional love, and hope and promise because your faith and your righteousness is based in, in your salvation on him and what so he God. did, not on wow. your actions to follow up or to be worthy of it or anything else. I love what you're saying. <laughs> and you talk about adultery in the Ten Commandments. And what, what does Christ do in the New Testament? He says, hey, I'm not here to do away the law. And I'm telling you that if, if you think just by obeying the law you're going to be saved... Uh, it's not, that's not true, but he also took the law, at least the Ten Commandments, to a higher level. He I amplified it. To, I don't even want you to think it in your heart. Yeah, he amplified it. Do, no, he didn't it's say an to me. No, he didn't say, I don't want you to, Jack. He didn't say, I don't want you to. He said, if you do, you are an adulterer in your heart. And, and yeah. so what he did is he condemned you on that that's higher right. amplification. That's right. And so your need for him is cannot possibly be by any works. It has to be by faith on him because you, Jack, right now are condemned probably within the past week for what went on in your heart on some matter. It could have been greed. It could have been a lie. It could have been lust. But you have been condemned. So how could it be anything but grace that is going to save you? All grace. That's exactly, that's exactly what the LDS Church that is not. That is not, Jack. I'm sorry, and that's, this is where, after we go through all these, these dialogues and stuff, this is where, why we do the show, because now tell the me, fork in the road comes. Tell me, Sean, where we don't teach that. Where's our fault? Where's your what? Where's our fault in that? Why, why, how, you I just read a Mormon. quote from, your, from Joseph Fielding Smith that your, your salvation is merited by your obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. That's one of your articles of faith. All mankind may be saved by obedience to uh, the laws and ordinances of the gospel. I mean, Jack, that is the biggest lie on the face of the earth. It's completely contrary to the whole Bible. Sean, I, I, it's all right, my brother. I, 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 Listen, it's been a good conversation. I like you. I like the way you talk. I didn't get angry. We love each yeah. other. But, but I think that we were able to bring out some things. Let's talk again. Okay, well, before you go, I'd like to be a guest on your show in 2011. Okay, email us and tell us who you are and that you're not an assassin and what you're going to bring, and we'll do it. Already done that. All right, Jack. We're, we've kept it on a file, and we'll talk about it. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. Pray for Jack. He's on the way. Uh, let's go to Rob in Ogden. He's a first-time caller and LDS. Rob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, first Rob. caller. How you doing? Good. You're on the air. Okay. I know you're short on time, so let me just get straight to the point. Okay. Um, I think that I could probably produce an equal number of biblical passages that emphasize the importance of, of works and acts Context- as you do with grace. Contextually, but- you can't. Contextually, okay. you cannot. Well, I, I, that's neither here nor there. Let me post okay. this. All right, go and ahead. If works and acts are so unimportant as you say they are, then why would there, A, be a book that God keeps a record of all of our acts, as discussed in the book of Revelations, and B, what purpose would there be for a judgment? Okay, let me answer that before you go on, because I can't remember questions, all right? Rob. 
you got to understand this really clearly. As a Mormon missionary, we used to go around and use that Revelation passage that the books were open and another book was open and the people were judged out of what was written in those books. Again, contextually, who are those people? They are the people who have been held in Sheol, hell. They are not the bride of Christ who was pulled up and saved by Jesus. We, the believers, were saved at the cross. By, that is where our judgment came and it was heaped upon the sun. We have a judgment that is called the Bema Seat Judgment, and it's of our works. That revelation passage you just gave me as evidence that God keeps a book of what we do is only applicable to the people who were in hell that when they come out and they stand before God, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, they will hear their sin, and they will hear why they are going to the level of hell they're going to. Did you know that was the context, Rob? Well, I think it's up for interpretation. No, it's not up for interpretation. You read, you, talk, you read anything in the Bible as a whole and you will see that's exactly what it means. The LDS have taken that singular passage and they've applied it to all of us and say we're going to be judged according to our works. That is absolutely not true in the sense of salvation. Okay, so let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Okay. If that is the case, then do our actions have relevance after we're saved? Absolutely. Our... Choking on Diet Coke <coughs> produces the terrible lung infection. Listen, it is so important, uh, Rob, because what happens is, like Paul said, I have labored more abundantly under the gospel of grace. When you are truly saved, you are operating because of your love and devotion to a God who saved you. It is not by virtue of trying to earn salvation. So in that sense, the works are vitally important. Secondly, after this life, those works are very important because all of the things Christians do are going to be placed on, a, on an altar and they're going to be tried by fire according to Corinthians. And those things that we did for our own ego, that we did to be seen of men, that we did for this or that or this or that, it's going to burn like wood, hay and stubble. But the things we did because of our love for God and gratitude for the grace he gave us, they will remain as precious stones and crowns will be given for those things. And those okay, crowns, well, I believe, are going to be tossed at Jesus' feet anyway. But nevertheless, rewards will be given for the things done from the heart. So there's the answer to that question. Okay, so, so Gandhi, sucks for Gandhi because he was never baptized. He never accepted Christ as a savior, but yet he lived a life of good works. I gotta tell you hell. something, since you used Gandhi, the guy was a horrible womanizer. And oh. I, 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 you know, he was a great guy, a great national leader, a great spiritual leader, but don't use Gandhi. Oh, okay. Let's use any other example of a leader Give me one. Who, who dedicated a life to good works. Dedicated to life of good oh, works is no, nothing. The oh, works no, are filthy rags. They mean nothing if they aren't prefaced by a heart that's doing them for God. You know, there are plenty of people, Rob, who are out there who belong to Shriners, who don't care about God. There are people who work in, in hospitals and volunteer their time. They don't care about God. There's atheists who do many humanitarian works. But if, if that is what saved us, if that, what is, if that is what impresses God, Rob, then Jesus came for no reason at all. His whole shed blood was a waste of time. We could impress God through our life of good works. But that's not how God's economy is. Does that make sense? Uh, well, I, 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 I've heard this response over and over again. I mean, as you said... Oh, we have 15 uh, seconds. That, that scripture I pointed out is a common scripture used. Rob, I'm sorry, but we have 10 seconds. I'm not cutting you off. Call back again. I'm sorry we're out of time. Uh, I got a whole bunch of things I'm supposed to tell you, and I left them for the last three minutes, and I can't, so I'll tell you. I love you. Keep searching. God bless.
I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind, and I won't be coming out. I'm going in. This man's awake. The storms are rising. The dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start 